Hello and welcome to Season 2 of Music Rewind, a podcast where we look to tell the stories behind our favorite albums. I'm your host, Steve Epley, and in each episode, I will invite a guest on to tell us about their favorite music album, how they discovered it, and what makes it special to them. So, I wanted to take a moment and thank you all for listening and supporting the show. With the limited operation we've got here, it's all thanks to you that we were able to keep growing with more amazing guests and bonus episodes. I will ask you, though, if you are enjoying Music Rewind, please check out the links in our show notes. They will take you to either our Patreon, where you can donate and support the show and get special content on the side, or to our amazing sponsors, Zounds for all your audio production needs, and also Drizzly, which will deliver your favorite beer, wine, or spirit straight to your door. This all helps us keep the show going. Thanks again, and now on with the show. Joining me today is a blues musician hailing from Colorado, Bryce Evans. Bryce is a guitar player for over 20 years with several albums and singles, which are all out there on the streamers. Bryce has worked with the great producer, Kevin Shirley, who has worked with a few acts you may have heard of, Journey, Black Crows, Led Zeppelin, among many others. Welcome, Bryce, and thank you for being on the show. Oh, thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. You know, funny enough, um, the whole Kevin Shirley thing, that was great. And then today I found out that um, Dee Sawyer and Hall and Oates, uh, uh, or I guess John Oates, PR person actually follows me on Instagram and, and has been one of my fans for quite a long time. Oh, that's awesome. It was a very cool thing to find out today. And um, like I knew it was D. she was Dee Sawyer's PR person. And then I was like, oh, I don't really know who that is, but great. Thanks for following me, whatever. And then I checked her out today and I was like, wow, holy crap. You're also John Oates, uh, PR person. That's insane. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> yeah, it was great. So yeah, Kevin Shirley was a blast. And, uh, hopefully that's not the end of that little bit of time that I get in, in that realm of the world, but we're working on it. Uh, I've listened to your stuff. It's great. And uh, hopefully you, you get some more listeners off of this and uh, keep making music. I love it. Oh, thank you. Thank you. This podcast hit a, a recent uh, high note when um, William Goldsmith from uh, Sunny Day Real Estate, uh, the drummer for them, because they're going back out on tour. He's yeah. a lot more active on social media, liked one of my Instagram posts about our review of diary. So that was cool. Oh, great. Excellent. Yeah. yeah. Any, any bit of uh, progress is great progress. You know? Yeah. I sent that to Danny who did that episode and we're like, okay, time to retire. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. That's all you got to do. <laughs> One like on Instagram. Ready to go. <laughs> so Bryce, uh, let's jump right into this. Uh, what album would you like to bring to the table and what makes it special to you? So I have decided to bring One More Car, One More Rider by Eric Clapton. This is an album that has influenced my guitar playing, influenced my music career for a very long time since I started playing. I started playing when I was seven. I'm uh, 28, 20, 28, yeah, 20, <laughs> 28 now. And um, I keep coming back to it. It's It has a lot of memories for me. And as we get further into the album, I'll start to share those. But it just really has done so much for my guitar playing. It's inspired me when I started. It still inspires me today. And I just wanted to talk about it and really review such a great album uh, of his world tour and what came out of that in 2001 in such a dark year for, for America. It was a great year for, for Eric and for uh, this 
fantastic inspirational album, uh, One More Car, One More Rider. It's an interesting pick because it's not one that's really that well known uh, amongst uh, just the general population. Uh, Eric Clapton fans, obviously. I had the CD. I actually remember buying the CD at the PX in the military. Mm-hmm. We, they had a very small selection. And this was in probably early 2003 or something. It's like, oh, Eric Clapton album. Let me grab that. Loved it. But it never really came back into rotation too much. Yeah, this one is, um, I don't know. It's, it's not, I, I think it's kind of like a, uh, uh, what's the words I'm looking for. It's, it's a very, uh, you know, the best of, if you will. And it's, yeah. it kind of took a lot of his older stuff, some of his newer stuff, some of his, his songs from reptile that was released in, uh, I think 2001. Um, and he kind of just went over all of that on this world tour. But what really makes this album special to me is not so much the first half. And I feel like a lot of people, you know, when you get a two disc live album, it's like, Oh, I'm going to put it in on the first track on the first disc and I'm going to go. We're going to see what happens. And this one is not so much really that great. In my opinion, in the beginning on that first disc, there's some really good songs, tears in heaven, bell bottom blues, change the world river of tears. A lot of those are fantastic, but the way he does it on this album is not my favorite for me. This album, the second disc is really where it's at and where I got a lot of my inspiration and where it really touched me. And really when I started hearing great blues guitar for the first time. Um, so it is a kind of a B side album, if you will, but it's so very good. Uh, I agree. And I love, I love the, the, the poppy stuff They're there. It's all right. Uh, I'm not the hugest fan of change the world tears in heaven. They're, they're great songs. But in the grand catalog of Eric Clapton, I, they don't kind of you know make anywhere near the top rung for me. But then sprinkled throughout, even the first disc, you still have these these old classic blues tracks from you know from the '30s and '40s. Yeah, if you trace them back to their origin. Absolutely, yeah. You know, especially with uh, Hoochie Coochie Man, the uh, I think it's a Muddy Water song. Um, it, is, it is, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's it. Oh, man. When we start getting into it, I have so many stories about about how it influenced me. But God, yeah, great. How did you discover this album? So, uh, funny enough, my, my, so my dad, I guess we'll start kind of from the beginning. So before I started playing guitar, just about a year or so, um, this album came out on November 5th of 2001. And some point in the middle of November, right around my dad's birthday, which is November 10th, uh, he decided I'm going to take... Uh, Bryce to a monster truck rally. So my dad had just picked up the CD and my dad was one of those guys. He picks up a new Eric Clapton CD and he had box sets, you know, he was a collector. He still is a collector. And um, anytime he picked up a new album, it'd be like, we're playing it for the next three weeks, everywhere we go, anything we do, that's what we're listening to. So he had just gotten it that day and we were going to this monster truck rally. And uh, my dad liked to, listen to music loud. Um, and so he was cranking this, this second disc of this album on our way down to the Pepsi center in Denver. And I remember leaning over, uh, kind of like doubled over myself, um, trying to get my head closer to the speaker of this, this Chevy truck. So I could hear even better, which wasn't a problem because it was crazy loud anyways. Uh, how good this guitar was. So I could just kind of zone in on that, and uh, the seventh track Layla was playing 
and it was the intro. And I'd heard Layla a bunch, you know, the Derek and the Dominoes version before that, um, myriad of other versions that he had done throughout the years. But this one was special because that beginning guitar track is just on fire. And it comes right out of, um, oh, what is the name of that song? It comes right out of Wonderful Tonight, and it's just epic. I've actually got a note of that when we get to, to Layla, because one of the things I love about live sets is where uh, the artist will, will do, you know, sometimes up to a minute of just solo work that may or may not sound like the song they're getting into. But then once there's that change and the first real chords of the song hit and the crowd reacts, I love that on every single live album I hear it on. It's always great. And Layla yeah. on this one does that perfectly. It absolutely does. Yeah. It, it gets into a, a very, it changes the environment, I think, of the Staples Center where it was recorded from, you know, you're, you're in this wonderful tonight kind of world, this great uh, saxophone sounding solo that transcended into this fantastic guitar solo. And then he brings it up, goes on this crazy big fat Eric Clapton tone solo and just drops right into to Layla. Amazing amazing and that at that point in time that's when i realized that's what i want to do for a living i want to play guitar for a living and so you know here we are years later <laughs> still <laughs> working on that but getting somewhere now you know so that's that's where i found it i found it through my dad and i'm ever ever thankful for this album ever since it's amazing about how old were you i was about seven or eight years old so this is like a core memory, if you will. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's a trend on this show uh, for the for the childhood albums that that changed because people are bringing albums for various reasons at various points in their life to talk about it on the show. But the but several that have been musical life changing have been at that you know six to eight range, definitely. Yeah, it's you know it's one of those the years when you're absorbing. I think you're absorbing everything around you. You're learning the world to an extent uh, as best as you can understand it. And music has a way of touching us all. You know, it amazes me that that older people um, in that are in homes that have dementia have problems remembering anybody's name. But as soon as they hear a song from their their younger days, they're taken back and they, you know, like uh, dancers go back to dancing again and the yeah. mind just goes wherever, wherever it was when it heard or when it connected, like, I, I think your soul connected with that song and it takes you right back to that. And I will never forget the way the lights looked as I was, we were driving down the highway, the way the, the truck sounded. I mean, all of that is ingrained in me from this album, especially with that song. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. This album, when it's when it's blues, it's very bluesy. When it's pop, it gets very poppy. But then in the middle, there's so much good stuff that it actually I would almost categorize this as a jam album because all the songs are lengthy. They're they're two to four minutes longer than their studio versions, yeah. and they turn into this jam session because we haven't really touched on it yet. But the uh, the personnel on this album is like a who's who of amazing session guitarists with, with multiple Grammys, rock and roll hall of fame inductees. I mean, yes. they're, they're all there. Yes, absolutely. Billy Preston 
there's only so many great things I can say about Billy Preston. I, I love Billy Preston. Oh yeah. A, a great organ player. Um, Steve Gatt on drums. Amazing. Amazing. Right. Nathan East, um, on bass again. Amazing. I mean, all of these guys, and that's the thing that I've always thought about Clapton is that he really, he's been around for so long. He's done this for so long that he really has, for lack of a better term, the cream of the crop, <laughs> you know, um, he does have the cream of the crop for musicians. And so, so much of this album, I think, yeah, exactly. It is a jam album, but it's done with the best jamming musicians. Yes. You could argue of all time, you know? Yeah. You can say that Eric Clapton has, uh, from, on, on a music standpoint, I know he's had a lot of, you know, personal strife with, you know, family and stuff over the years. Uh, but musically living the dream at this point, because oh yeah, he's able to just, uh, do a, a full live set, uh, with these amazing musicians and start playing the tunes that got him into music when he was a young kid you know, it's not, it's not just a golden oldies sort of tour where we're going to go out there and, you know, do a full set of our fan favorites and call it a day. No, he's throwing songs in there that are, you know, hidden tracks off, uh, Layla and other love songs and other things, you know, that were just from his youth, but still being able to play them and do whatever the hell he wants. That's amazing. And, and this album too, I feel like he was to an extent at the very top of his career. You know, he was, I don't know, I think, I want to say somewhere in his late 40s, mid 50s, somewhere in there. I could be wrong on that, but he was at a point where he was old enough to know what he was doing and young enough to still do it. Uh, and nowadays, you know, he's, he's getting older. He's, you know, the stuff he's putting out is not near as fast as any of this. And he's even came out, I think, and said, you know, I'm kind of over the crossroads thing. I'm kind of over all of that old stuff, sunshine of your love that I used to do. I'm over that. I've done that a million times. I don't want to do that anymore. But at this point, I think he was just on top of the world. And it shows in this album. Um, I, I laughed because um, I remember when his Unplugged came out, and uh, which was a, a great you know, acoustic album, and thinking, man, that's that's an old guy from my, my dad's time. You know, that's look how old that dude is. And then, uh, here, here I am in my early forties. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he's in his, what, almost his eighties now. I mean, yeah. Guy is old, but he's still rocking. You know I mean? Got to give him props for that. He's, he's a lifer, this guy, this guy's a lifer. And, uh, at that point in time, he had his, his youth with him to do what he wanted to do. And he had his fan base, which I think he still very much so has. But at this point in time, the world tour sold out. It was his first concert since the, the 92 or the 92, um, unplugged album. That was his first back to okay. it type of to concert. Um, and that was off uh, also pilgrim, I think came around out around that time. I think you're correct. Right, right so. after unplugged, maybe right in there. Um, but his first like time being public on a big, big world tour was during this. And, uh, I was looking into this, I'm reading up on this album before we did this. And I found out, I was like, why did he name this album? One more car, one more rider. And I had to dig a little bit. What I did find out is that he named this because he was at a fairground one day, kind of like at a carnival or something. Uh, and he kept hearing a worker on, uh, one of the rides saying one more car, one more rider, uh, to fill the last seat in the last car available. Uh, um, one more car, one more rider. So he, it was trying to fill up this, this ride, you know, and 
it's very cool that he was at a carnival and then his marketing people are able to go, Oh, that's a, we could use that. Let's put a little guy in a car and in classic Clapton fashion, we'll put the big sun in the back, you know, and I don't know, man, it, it really worked out really well. And then the album recorded live. Oh, it just sold it. <laughs> it sold the whole thing. Yeah. That is pretty cover. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, I didn't see that in any of the research I did. I, I searched, but not searched too well, obviously for the, for the origin of that, but that's, that's a neat, neat story there. Yeah. That's, that's what I found now, you know, who knows the inter- internet is a vast place. So it may not be true, but I don't know. I found it out there somewhere. So I'm going to, I'm going to believe it. I think it's so pretty I, cool. Before we get into the tracks, uh, I did have a question here where you kind of answered it. Like, how did you discover Eric Clapton? Was it, you guess your dad was a, was a collector. So you knew him well before tears in heaven. Yes. Yes. So my dad, um, really, I learned of Eric Clapton in the Yardbirds, Right. And it was one of those things like, you know, when you're a kid, you're not really paying too much attention to much of anything. And I guess all of everything all at the same time. <laughs> uh, and so, Oh, you know, I, I vaguely remember going, who's this dad? You know, and he's like, Oh, this is the Yardbirds. Eric Clapton's in this. And it's like, Oh, okay. You know, not thinking anything of it. A couple of years go by. And then, uh, you know, he's like, Oh, this is that Eric Clapton guy shows me a few more things. And then maybe, you know, a little bit longer goes by and that's when this album came out. So yeah, through my dad, I mean, my dad has had a lot of influence on my guitar playing throughout the years. Uh, I walked past him a long time ago, technically, but always pushed me forward, you know, and, and really I, I wouldn't have picked up the guitar had it not been for him showing me or Clapton really. So yeah, my dad showed me, showed me that. And, uh, now he's got me hooked <laughs> hooked for life. Uh, this is similar to my story too, actually on, on Eric Clapton. My dad was a huge fan, is a huge fan. And he always got a kick out of stumping me on, who the band was. Cause we'd be driving in his truck and whatever's on the radio, he would turn it down and he would ask me who's singing, who's the artist, who's playing guitar, that sort of thing. He would you know, help build my music trivia as a kid. Yeah. And, and he loved stumping me on the Eric Clapton bands because you, you had the Yardbirds, you had cream, you had blind faith, you had Derek yeah. and the dominoes. And he, he loved stumping me on which one was, which it was always fun. Yeah, I kind of got caught uh, in in that same sort of scenario. You know, I learned about the Yardbird first, the Yardbirds first, and then I learned about, uh, you know, his solo career a little bit later on. But I had no clue about Blind Faith and really what Cream did for him. I didn't know of any of that until I was much older, about 13 or 14. Then I started looking into the history of who this person was, and I found out, oh, holy crap, this guy's laid out brickwork for years before he even got to this, this show in 2001 that inspired me the most, you know? So it was like, great. I have all this music to go back and listen to, which was awesome. Uh, but then I got went down the rabbit hole because, you know, Hoochie Coochie Man and, and, um, things like that. I found out who JJ Kale was in Muddy Waters. And, and then you just start going down the line and Freddie King, you know, and now you're just lost. And, uh, yeah, it's been a great journey with, with Eric Clapton. He's, he's done so much for me. <laughs> Fantastic idol, I think. So, uh, walk me through the album, the way, uh, you listen to it, either, either, either track by track or we bounce around. This is, this is your show. Okay. So 
Sure. So I'm uh, gonna basically skip over almost all the first first half of the uh, the first disc. <laughs> um, you know, like we said, a lot of those are are so just kind of I don't want to say repetitive, but they are very like you know they're just kind of the, the songs that you're they're poppy. You know, I, I do want to ask though, what's your take on the song Reptile track two? Okay, so Reptile uh, this version I'm not a, I'm not in love with. But the album version, I love that whole album. That whole album is great. Okay. Uh, I just don't know about the way it was done on this this album. I'm just like, ah, you know, it's all right. I, I put that it sounds like something you'd hear in a hotel lobby. I agree. And I, I'm, just, I'm not trying to be mean on it. It's just that, that, this, that song is definitely just the low point in the whole album for me. It was just... Like it doesn't sound like anything else in the entire album. Agreed. Yeah. Why? And there's so many other great songs on reptile. Why wouldn't you pick any other ones? But, you know, I guess reptile is the title track of, of that title track, you yeah. know, which hit uh, number five on the billboard top 200. I get it. You know, you're trying to promote and, and that's cool. But yeah, I, I would not have chosen that song by any means for this, this album. Uh, so I usually start if I, if I listen to it all the way through, I'll start with going down slow. It, it's kind of where you come out of all of the slow parts of the album. I think, you know, you just got out of river of tears, like the, the saddest, almost the saddest song on the album. And then you come out with this kind of this poppy bluesy funky. It's got a beat. It's got, it makes you want to dance, but you just want to sit there and listen too. slow part towards the end is is great i love that it's just it kind of brings the whole mood of, of the crowd up and you can kind of tell I, it kind of sounds like they're getting a little restless you know and then as soon as this song starts they're like oh yeah cool they've all probably had a few drinks they kind of start getting into the groove of things um so i'll start there and then she's gone on track 10 is really where i think that crowd turned uh, and, and became part of the album, if you will. Because when he fires up that guitar right at the very beginning of She's Gone, um, it's it's electric. And I don't mean that by I just agree. the guitar, you know. <laughs> it, it really does <laughs> light the album on fire to an extent. And it really leads you into the next part of, of, uh, of the, the whole album being disc two. Well, and She's Gone, it ends, She's Gone ends in a three-minute jam session. Yeah. Yeah. So it's 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 a great great. So I have that as highlighted as one of my standout tracks. Yeah, I do love she's gone in this, and um, I can't remember. I was I tried to listen to almost every track on this today. Uh, but I think this is the one where Steve Gadd, he gets that beat going in the back behind the guitar part, and then he picks it up almost like one beat per minute, you know, and it's so distinct that you hear it, but then he's like a metronome. He stays so flat the entire time once he picks that tempo up. And it's like, yeah, it's, it's a great 
way to to showcase the awesome artists you have via Steve Gadd, Gadd's playing right there when he picks that tempo just a little bit. Um, and, and maybe some people don't notice that. I notice it because I play music, you know, and so that's one of those like, wow, holy crap, that dude is so good. <laughs> um, so yeah, She's Gone's excellent. It really just picks the whole vibe up. So then I want a little girl. Uh, what a fantastic... Not a slowdown, but what a fantastic change up from what you were playing in disc one. And then you're entering a, almost a different realm of, of blues when you hit that song. sultry it's very sexy and nice and warm and and it just makes you really love the blues and jump into what blues guitar is all about um and blues piano right like there are so many good parts in all of these songs i can't even begin to touch on every one of them <laughs> I have on about four different tracks, just the, the, of my notes. I just say, I love Billy Preston. <laughs> it's, He's it's, amazing. Re, it's repeated. And this is one of those tracks that, that, that pulls him out and, and showcases it. Definitely. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. But is this the one where he yells out in the middle that like, you take a Billy? Uh, I think so. I think it's. I get Billy. recommend anyone dive too deep into the lyrics of I want a little girl. Uh, yeah. <laughs> little, the, the lyrics may weird. not stand the test of time, but you know, he wants a little girl that can cook and stuff. So that's right. all fine. <laughs> but you know, but, but this is a blues song. This is another one of those. That's like a blues song from, uh, from way back when. So that's another rearrangement. Right. Yeah. And you know, it's one of those, like, that's the thing that I do love about the blues is that it is timeless, even though <laughs> it is not, always politically correct <laughs> but it is timeless uh, uh so badge i had heard on the cream album with that jack bruce baseline um and then this was off of uh, goodbye from them yeah and with uh with nathan east doing that who i think is a better bass player he brought so much to that song and the way they did the song, you know, like you said in the beginning is that, you know, a lot of these songs are a couple minutes longer uh, than, than anything else on any of the, the studio stuff. And this is no exception. I mean, the whole end of this album is this huge big, or the whole end of the song is a huge big jam track. And it's just like, oh man, what a great, great example of great musicians going after it together. Um, and, and this is just such a great song anyways. I mean, you couldn't, you almost couldn't make it better. Yeah. This is a three and a half minute track, I think of goodbye. And then here it's over six minutes yeah, yeah. with, with another two and a half minute jam session at the end. Exactly. Yeah. Beautiful. It's great.
thing I absolutely love, and I think it's off from this song to the next song, uh, is when... Next up is Hoochie Coochie Man. Yeah, and uh, I think it's... Yeah, it's definitely out of badge and into Hoochie Coochie Man, is that drum part that Steve Gadd drops in. This, you know, uh, badge comes to an end, and then he goes... Bah, 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 and then it kicks right into that song. And it's like, oh, man. And it's almost like, wait, 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 stop. This is what we're doing now. <laughs> you know? And it's like, it draws your attention. It makes you listen. And then it pushes you back to, this is why you come to see an Eric Clapton show. You know, you're here for dirty, raunchy, guitar-playing blues. And that's what you're going to get. We just hold it in. We held, we hold it in. Wow. <laughs> we held it all <laughs> to the end of this, uh, of this album. And now we're going to release all of it until we get to the last track, which then just kind of smooths the whole album over. But that beginning part of Hoochie Coochie Man is great. And I didn't know it was a Muddy Waters song for years until I think I saw Cadillac Records. And then I was like, oh, Uh, I didn't know that. Yeah, this song is as blues as blues can be. Yeah, this absolutely. Is, this is you know, down, dirty, Delta blues, that sort of thing. Enhanced, again, by Billy Preston. As I said, I, I love Billy Preston. Yeah. Those those two just complement each other so well on this album. Yeah. They, they kind of, they, they where, where guitar solo ends and organ or piano solo begins, and it's it's seamless, and, and it fits so well together. Absolutely, and... I read also in my research of this album uh, that this was the last United States show on this 2001 world tour. So it wasn't the end of the world tour by any means, but it was the end of the United States leg. And that's when uh, they all took, I guess, six weeks off to pause. And then they went, I think, uh, across seas to, to somewhere else. And you can tell that this is, a perfect example of like, yeah, this is one of the last times we're going to get to play together for a little while at least, but we're not tired of it yet. You know, we haven't burnt out on the tour. We don't have tour fatigue. And when, when you hear those two bounce against each other, it's awesome. It really is just fan freaking fantastic. Billy Preston. He's great. <laughs> he's very, very, very great. And uh, say so the next, the next one, have you ever loved a woman is another Say this one's eight minutes or damn near eight minutes. And this is a a classic, the Freddie King one. Yes. And I think this is between Layla and this track are the two tracks that I really fell in love with that night when I was riding in the truck on my way to that monster truck rally. Cause have you ever loved a woman? It's not a standard one, four, five blues progression in, in the terms of, you know, we're just going to go one, four bars, and then the four for four bars and back and forth and back and forth until we reach the five. And okay, we're doing it all over again. It's very much so a different style. It's still on four or five, but it's a different progression altogether. And it's so good. Uh, and, and when that guitar comes in, man, that thing just screams in your face. Uh, only like Clapton knows how to do, you know, it's it, moaning and the tone of that guitar alone was enough to make me go, yeah, I need to figure out how I can do that.
when he played at Crossroads in 2007 with Eric, uh, said, hey, you know, when I heard the guitar, I knew that I had to figure out what it was and how to do it. I didn't know what it was, but I had to know how to do it at some point in my life. Uh, and it changed his direction. And this song, this album definitely changed my direction because of the guitar solo in it. It's amazing. And the crescendo from the, the verse into the, to, or I guess the, the chorus into the, the guitar solo is, God, that's what it's all about right there. That's awesome. Yeah, apparently this one is he's been playing since uh, he was with John Mile in the Blues Breakers. Long time. Which is uh, another uh, another band we forgot about. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So many, man. So many. Uh, I actually have a Blues Breakers album that someone uh, gave me. We're like, hey, you like vinyl? Here's a crate. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I just looking through I'm like I've never heard of these guys and it was a you know fantastic blues album. I can't remember which one it was, but but it was excellent. So next up then is uh cocaine. Into cocaine, yeah. Um and this is when I really feel like everybody kicked it into gear. It was like the you could tell the crowd had enough to drink <laughs> that they were just gonna <laughs> let these guys have it, and they did. I have a note here. A lot of crowd participation in this one. Yeah, absolutely. You know, as soon as Nathan East does that big bass slide in the beginning, and then they jump right into the main riff, uh, you just hear that crowd go wild. And that is something else on this album. Really, like I said before, the crowd in this album participated in a way that made the album, um, even though it's not, you know, crazy over the top, everybody's super participating and clapping and, you know, interacting with Eric. It's, it, it really does enhance the album. I think it's also worth noting that this, this album audio wise was recorded very cleanly for a live album. Yes you can hear every instrument and you can hear the crowd when the audio engineers want you to hear the crowd. Yes, absolutely. You know, I, I think there's a lot of albums out there that, that they capture magic and this one captured magic on that night. I think it was August 15th or August 18th of 2001, man, the, whoever did this album, whoever uh, mixed it, and the, the engineers at the show that itself really put a lot of effort into making this a great album, and it shows. Yeah, full credit to them. I mean, there's I've got a lot of live albums where you can't even hear the bass. You you know, or or even uh, and it's really awkward when they do this. They they you know call the action to the crowd trying to do a back and forth, and you don't hear a damn thing from the crowd, and it sure. just sounds awful and awkward but this one is it doesn't i mean when the crowd yells out cocaine on the chorus clear as day you know it yeah you know it's it's all those people that paid all that money to sit there and watch him that night and it's great it really adds so much to the the album because when you think of eric 
you know, he did so many studio albums that, you know, it's not really something you really hear. I don't want to say unless you start looking towards his, his live stuff, but even then all of that is not really like this, you know, back to what I said when he was kind of on the top of his game, it shows in this album with the crowd because the crowd was so freaking loud, you know, and it, yeah, it adds something and cocaine, it really kind of stepped it up and it, the crowd helps so much in this, this song. Now, have you seen Eric Clapton live? Oh, no, I haven't. <laughs> I'd love to. Um, I've seen Joe Bonamassa three times because I knew, you know, when I was growing up, I mean, Eric Clapton tickets were so much anyways. And so when Joe started playing around, I was like, oh, I got to get tickets to this guy because he's the, the next guitar player like Eric, you know, the, the next of our, our millennia, right? I mean, he's amazing. So I went and saw him quite a few times and Eric just never comes around to Colorado much anymore. And if he does, it's astronomically priced, you know, it's like, I'd love to, but usually I never have that much money when he comes to town. <laughs> I got to see him once. Uh, and it was, uh, here in Atlanta and, uh, it was a great show. I have nothing bad to say about the show, but it's one of those situations where the opening act kind of showed him up a little bit. Really? The opener was Roger Daltrey solo. Wow which was, was great. Uh, Roger Daltrey doing stripped down versions of who tunes, breaking them down into blues songs, which was really a lot of fun, but he was, he engaged with the crowd. He just, he was, he talked a lot and he kind of, he was a little more active with just going back and forth, talking about songs. Whereas Eric was very methodical, very technical. This song to this song, to this song, everything was planned and it, it was great. I have nothing bad to say about Eric Clapton sure. and his show. Uh, but one thing I do remember is that, uh, before, uh, Roger's final song, he, he said, uh, you know, thanks for coming out here. My set, uh, I hear a lot of great things about this next act. You know, Eric is an up and comer. I wish him the best of luck. You know, got a lot of, a lot of laughs from the crowd. Sure. It was really good. It was good. Sure. You know, and, uh, I, I was watching a thing, um, about Eric Clapton and Royal Albert Hall. Uh, which I didn't know. I mean, I was obsessed with this dude from, you know, from the time I heard this album to the time I, I really ran into Joe Bonamassa from one of my friends giving me one of his albums. Um, and so I, I read everything I could about him. I absorbed as much as I could. I, I bought music books to learn how to play like he did. Um, and I guess I've done a great job because a lot of people tell me, Oh, you know, you sound a lot like Eric Clapton, which is fantastic, you know, but it's like, just, I don't even compare to the guy. Right. Um, and so when I got to, when I started getting into it and I started reading about him, I learned that he's not really a social guy. And when I watched this thing on him at Royal Albert Hall, uh, it said, he was like, you know, when I do a show, I do the show and then I leave. I can't stay backstage. I can't go talk to people. I can't wander around the Coliseum with a hat on. You know, I have to leave because the energy of it is just too much for me. Um, and so I, I think that kind of also plays into the way that he he does things on stage. You know, he's not a he's not a front man per se, right? He gets up there, he does his thing, he does what he's good at, which is play guitar and sing the blues, and he gets off and he goes home. That's exactly what I saw on stage. Yeah. And it was great. Yeah. But it's exactly the the right description of it. Yeah. And uh, I didn't know that, you know, but I guess everybody's different. And I mean, you know, um, I try not to stick around at my shows when I get done. I just 
you know, if there's other bands, I'll, I'll stay and watch. But there are just so many people that come up to you and think, oh, you're great, or I love that song, or I love this song, let me buy you a beer. There's only so many beers you can drink in a night, <laughs> you know? Uh, and so it's like, man, I don't... I don't want to stick around for all that energy coming my way. I just kind of want to play the show for you. I'm glad you loved it. Thanks, but I'm out of here, you know? Um, so I kind of, I kind of reminisce with that a little bit of, of how that's that energy can really just get to you. I don't know. Maybe that he shook that off this night when he did this album. Uh, Cause I don't from the sound of it and then the video too, if you watch the video, he looks like he's, he's happy to be there and he's ready to be on stage and doing this. Um, and other, other videos that you watch with him, sometimes he's not, you can kind of tell that he just wants to get it over with. So yeah, you know, that's my little story about him and Royal Albert Hall. But anyways, so, uh, into wonderful tonight, this song is great. So you, you get done with that fire on fire, crazy version of cocaine and you drop into this slow, you know, big beginning with a very soft guitar part. And then, you know, Nathan East kind of adds some stuff in the bass line, which picks it up. And that whoever the other guitar player was that played with him that night, you know, added so much to this as well. And this version of Wonderful Tonight, I still think is the best. Uh, and if you look at the numbers on Spotify, 2.2 million listens on this song. This is a good one. I, I really enjoyed the arrangement of it because it had that uh, that style of, of jazz and blues where they'll let each individual instrument take a little bit of a solo. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I, I like it when a, a band can slow down and do that, and, and they do it well on this one. From a technical standpoint, coming out of a song as fast as Cocaine was and coming into a wonderful tonight, you know, something that slow – very difficult, very technically difficult in a live setting to slow your heart rate down, to slow that adrenaline down. To go, okay, we're going to slow this whole thing down and everybody else's energy, we're going to slow down and we're going to, to walk you into this next song, but we're not going to leave you there, you know, and then they build it up towards the end. And my favorite part of this whole song is when um, that, what sounds like a saxophone, which is actually um Whoever played piano for him that night, not Billy Preston, uh, the actual piano player, has this thing that it's like a talk box, it has a tube, goes into your mouth, and he blows into that, and then he uses the keyboard as part of the instrument and makes it sound like a saxophone, but so still a woodwind instrument, I guess. has a reed and the whole thing, but it's just kind of electrified. And my favorite part is when he builds that solo up, and then Eric Klum comes in on the exact same note. And then it just transcends into this guitar solo. Me and my dad were blown away by that years ago. We still are blown away by that. Every time we're in, in the garage together drinking, you know, and we hear that, we're like, wow listen to that. Like, it's just, yeah, that's, that's, that part sounds amazing. I agree. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. Uh, and then you pick it up in the Layla. Um, and, and really, I think this is probably the star track on this whole thing. Uh, and, and you know, it's Eric's one of his best, right. If not the best song he's ever done. Uh, 
but you, he starts off with that awesome guitar solo. And you, like he said before, you don't really know that he's going into Layla. You're just like, what is this? And the keys, they're just droning out in the beginning, providing that base layer of sound for him to, to just solo over is amazing. And it really, I remember when we were, when I first heard it, I thought, what is that rumble? You know, what is that thunder of a sound? And then he comes in with that, that little first two, three notes there. And it's like, Oh wait, what are we getting into here? And then he just takes you through it until he drops down and, and he starts that main riff. And then the crowd, you know, the crowd just fires up. to the piano part again you know i said it before and i'll say it again they captured magic that night and they did definitely with this song when they went from the really fast super hot awesome version of layla and brought it into the the end of the piano part of layla it's unreal unreal I'm glad they went with the, you know, the original part one, part two rock version. And then the, the instrumental second half, obviously a nine minute version, which is phenomenal. Uh, they could have done a version of like he did unplugged because it was so popular, but they stuck with the, the original arrangement, which was, you know, uh, thank you for that. Eric. Yeah. And I think really, you know, coming from that 1992 album of unplugged, you know, and everybody had listened to it. It did so well on the charts. I think maybe he was ready, you know, like let's bring yeah, out the yeah. big guns. You know, this is a world tour we've played, you know, in the, in the first disc, we've played all the, you know, reptile and got you on my mind and, and uh, my father's eyes and all this kind of slower, more acoustic stuff. So I've already provided all that for you. Now I'm going to give you what you came here for. I'm giving you what, what your money's worth, you know, and uh, he does that in Layla. Well, I mean, hell you, if you look at it on, on the second disc, I mean, you're going from, uh, from, I want a little girl all the way straight to Layla. And then the next one, uh, they're all old tunes. There, there's, yeah. there's no pilgrim. There's no reptile there. There's not, these are all old, old school songs. Absolutely. Yeah. This is all stuff that, that really kind of built his career. Um, and then he's done a thousand times and obviously it's, that's probably why they are as good as they are because he's done them a thousand times, but that solo in Layla, all of it, just absolutely all of it. The one thing I did want to say about it is that about a minute and 30 seconds, there's an underlying solo. You know, I know that when he uses other guitar players, he tries to make them sound as closely as possible to him. So the crowd doesn't really have any sort of, you know, dissonance between the two and whatever they did to that guy's guitar that night to make it sound the way that it did. It sounds like that speaker is going to blow up, you know, but it is awesome. It is awesome. And I'm sure if you were on stage with him that night, you could feel the air moving past your legs from the amplifier because it was just, it sounds like it was loud as all get out. 
but it was fantastic. And it really, it really, it really changed my life. That track, that was an amazing track. I'll never be able to forget what that did for me. And that would be a great way to even close out this, this whole concert, but it's, it's like not done yet. Yeah. Not done yet. Not done not yet. Yeah. And then he goes into, you know, after it drops down from the piano part and it does that massive explosive ending in Layla, it goes into another leading guitar solo. Um, and this one in particular, this guitar solo really took me from, this is what I want to do for a living to this is what I have to do for a living. Uh, <laughs> when I heard that, I thought that's the coolest thing I've ever heard. I, I can't get this out of my head. And then, you know, a few years go by iPods come out and it was one of the first songs I put on my iPod. Um, you're still, you know, you're talking Layla, you're talking sunshine of your love. Sunshine of your love. Yeah. When okay. you, you know, once it transcends after Layla and that beginning guitar solo there, I thought, you know what, one day I'm going to get good enough to play that. I got to figure out how to do it. And I tried early on. Um, and that was always my goal. You know, it was the big, I'm going to get there. That's the target. And then who knows after that, but that's the target. And so by the time I was about 15 or 16, I was finally able to do it note for note, but it took me from the time I was about eight, nine years old to the time I was about 16 years old to figure out how to do it. Cause there's no tabs for this album anywhere. There's no charts for it. You know, you can watch the show, but you're not going to see his fingers the whole time. Uh, and so really it took me that long to develop my ear to get it, but I finally got it. I remember when I first got it, I was sitting there, I played along with it and I went, Oh, I just did it. You know? And, and that was the big thing was just get there, get to that point. And then once I did that and I knew that I did it, it's like, well now what, now what, you know, now what do I do? So I was like, well, we'll just go back a track. <laughs> That'll be more than enough of a challenge for the next eight years. You know? <laughs> And it's great. Like there's a, uh, the harmonies in sunshine of your love on this are awesome. Absolutely awesome. Especially towards the end of the song. Well, cause uh, yeah, originally Jack Bruce sang it. So it was, uh, uh, Eric taking the, the lead vocals on this one. Right. Yeah. And, um, and then you, you know, you had, uh, I think it's Nathan Yeast who you're hearing and when he harmonizes with, with Eric on this, it's great. I, you know, again, world-class musicians, you can't get any better and they prove it when, when yeah. they do their vocals in this song. And then I, you know, at the very end, they slow it down and I think they couldn't have brought it to a better ending than this, both in the, the musical realm of the show, but also in means of the tour and where they were at on like on the leg of the tour, you know, they just got done uh, with the whole U S side of things. They finished in, in the, at the stable center in Los Angeles there. And, you know, it was kind of like, okay, like we're here, we're finally on our break. Like let's, let's give them something to remember if they, if they're not going to remember this for the rest of their lives anyways. Right. Which people that weren't even there remember hearing it for the first time. Uh, and they played that song and over the rainbow, it, it was so much because so November 5th uh, is when it came out a few months later, my dad's father died. Um, and this song was huge for him. I was a little too young to remember, you know, all the bad details of that, but I definitely remember 
remember this song being played a lot and growing up and over the years, you know, it's just one of those very peaceful songs and the way that it's done is just perfect. It's not too much. It's not too fast. They didn't do it too slow. It's right on the perfect tempo. And it just, it, it adds so much to the album of, you know, all this acoustic stuff up front, all this new poppy stuff, a little bit of the old stuff, but we're going to do it acoustic still. And then we're going to fire it up with all this super fast electric awesomeness. And we're just going to slow it down and just drop it off at the end. And thank you. Have, you know, I love you very much. Good night. And that's it. And it's like, wow. Oh, just, yeah, it, yeah. It was a it was a great way to end the set. Somewhere over the rainbow is not a it's not an easy song to sing in any arrangement. So I, I think that was a it was it was beautiful and it was bold to to do it that way and just a great way to close it out. He did a great job. Absolutely, yeah. And he, um, you know, like I said, I, I read so much about him that he has said multiple times, "I am not a vocalist." And when I try to be a vocalist, I have to stop playing. I have to concentrate very, very hard on my vocals. Uh, And he must have been concentrating because he didn't miss a note, you know, and what he, what he did miss added, you know, it didn't take away. Um, There's a few parts in there where he gets a little shaky and it's, it's not bad. It's, it's vulnerable and it's um, very intimate and it adds so much to that song. And it was just a great way to close it out. Excellent way to finish an excellent album. Completely agree. It was a beautiful, beautiful ending. So one more car, one more rider made your top spot. What other albums made your short list for what could have been on here? Oh God. (laughs) So, so many. Um, But I guess, uh, We'll really just kind of, I'll work my way through a couple. Okay. One of them is definitely uh, Dust Bowl, Joe Bonamassa. Kind of the same reasons. He has this way of playing. Um, Joe more so in particular. Uh, he's, he's such a vocal guitarist. You know, he plays what he hears. He, he tries his best to express himself through his instrument he does a great job and that album uh no love on the streets uh really kind of changed my world from you know eric clapton guitar playing to guitar playing that was so much faster (laughs) but not shred metal you know it wasn't it wasn't like you know, uh, dragon force or or anybody (laughs) crazy. And it was somebody who really played, you know, played melodically and and played with feeling. Uh, but he was able to, to rip, you know, and it, it really changed my world. Um, and really that is such a great album with Kevin truly as a producer, you know, at the time of hearing that, I had no idea who Joe Bonamassa really was. I got into him on black rock, you know, and I, I loved that came out with Dust Bowl, loved that. And then I was like, oh, oh, look, okay, this is Kevin Shirley guy. No idea who that is. Um, but he makes some good music, you know. And then years later, I ended up working with him, and it, that was its own thing, you know. Um, so definitely Dust Bowl. That one is huge. I listen to that one a couple times, usually a month. I'll, I'll play a couple songs off of that. 
Um, another one would have to be Dark Side of the Moon. Wonderful choice. Yeah. I mean, what an album. What an album. <laughs> What an album! I mean, you know, one of it's. I think it's still in this area. Ana Grande finally beat them, but I don't know if she did. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of the best-selling albums of all time. I don't know if it's still the best, but one of the best for sure. I think it still holds the record for the number of years on the charts. But it, but I mean, it, but it may have been beat for bestseller. I'd, I'd have to look that up. I yeah, that I believe. Yeah. Uh, yeah, amazing album. I mean, amazing piece of work. I mean, uh, just everything about it. As with many other kids, that that was a you know seminal album for me as far as you know started me. It was my gateway into Pink Floyd. So yeah, it started started that journey. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, years later when I first smoked pot and listened to it, you know, <laughs> that changed my life too. Uh, but that's for other reasons because it just transitions so well, you know, and you don't realize you're going from one song to the next until the next song is already there in front of you. That's one of those that to, to be, to imagine being in the recording and the, the engineering of putting that thing together, you know, cause one song into the next and just so there's so many, as my friend, uh, Luke would say so many layers. It's, it's, it's amazing to, to wonder how that got put together. And you know, what amazes me about that album is that, uh, the, the sound quality is far superior to anything that had been released at that point in time, how they got that clear of sound. It, you know, it's almost like um, the Daft Punk album that came out, I think, in 2000, right around the same time, 2001. But that one also is so good, and it's it's far above the sound quality of the music that was being released at the time. Same deal with, with uh, Dark Side of the Moon. The difference, back then, they didn't have all this technology, and Daft Punk did. Yeah. So it makes you wonder, how did they grasp that level of, of sound engineering in that era. Uh, and that to this day blows my mind every time I listen to it, especially if I'm listening on my studio monitors, it's far superior than, than still almost anything that's out there today. Uh, great album. Abbey road, legendary recording studio. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. That too. That definitely helps. Um, and I think probably the, the last one before I go on to a crazy long hand of other albums i think my my last album for this is most likely uh oh of course now the name of this album is blanking on me uh it's another eric clapton album it's um oh time pieces which again is kind of a uh very you know very kind of best of but time pieces was different because it had like lay down sally on it you know and it had some more country stuff to it uh which one of the things i still love about eric is that he kept kind of his country roots you know there's a lot of stuff that he does on a lot of his albums throughout his his uh, discography that are very kind of country especially when he gets with jj kale on on uh road to encianado i think uh you know, a lot of country-esque stuff in there. And he, he plays it so well. And that really kind of showed me that, you know, because my mom loved country, right? I hated country. <laughs> and then when I heard timepieces, I was like, oh, so country doesn't have to be Nashville twang the whole time. You know, it could be kind of this bluesy mix of things. And uh, it really kind of made me appreciate 
country guitar playing, um, which, you know, there's very little of that on that album, but when it is there, it's, it's very nice and it's very well done and timepieces. Yeah. Another album that inspired me for a long time. Yeah. There's a distinct difference between old country and new country. And in the early two thousands, there was a lot of new country out there that, you know, <laughs> as you roll your eyes, yes. you know, that's, yes, there yeah, that's, that, I mean, I'm not saying it's bad. It's just, it was very, I don't know. Pop country is really the best kind yes. of one way to say it. Yes. But when you get down into the, the old school country, you know, Johnny Cash and beyond, it's some really good stuff in there. Stuff that does transfer over there to is. the blues um, and in, and in the yeah. bluegrass, a lot of great stuff out there. Absolutely. And when, you know, when all that, it was around this time when, you know, 2001 was, was doing its thing and my mom was listening to, to the station around here, 98.5 KYGO. And it was exactly that pop country all the time. And it's just like, I don't know, this is horrible. I don't love it. You know? Well, yeah, 2001, you, you had, say country wise, you had Toby Keith and Kenny Chesney at their height and, and, you know, and Tim McGraw and, and uh, Dixie Chicks and all, all those, you know, I'll say it pop country, you know, acts that were at their height. Absolutely. They were. Absolutely. Know. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, you know, growing up with that, the blues was such a refreshing take on things. And then I heard timepieces and uh, that one really showed me a lot about Eric Clapton's history. Uh, probably the, the first point that I started diving into his history and it showed me, you know, country can be kind of blues too. And yeah, it's just a great album. Another, another fantastic album that has changed my life. Uh, this one just won because of its static, you know, the static electricity in this album really made me choose it for this. Did you ever get into the, the albums he did with BB uh, King? Riding with the King? Yeah, that, that was it, yeah. Yes, fantastic album. Fantastic I, I enjoyed album. that one, yeah. Yeah, that was great. And that was so much, you know, I feel like BB had a lot of say in that. You know, um, there's a song in there, uh, I Want to Marry You. And that is not Eric Clapton at all. You know, he fits in it. He fits in it. Great. But that is a BB King song. It's soulful. It's, it's deep. It's rich. It's about, you know, it's about, Hey, I want to marry you. And, uh, and BB is that big voice that he had brought that, that song across. And then Eric with that kind of, kind of raspy grungy thing he had going on, uh, really kind of highlighted BB's soul and the two guitar players themselves, you know, BB, with the super thin, thin strings and thin sound. And then Eric with this big, fat, ballsy tone, you know, just, it was such a great contrast. Um, yes. Another great album that probably would have been on my list the further we went down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I need to look, see how many albums that Eric Clapton actually has studio and live. You know, there's, he's probably got quite a few. Yeah, I would think so. Um, you know, he's one of those guys, again, a lifer. I mean, he has had so many albums throughout the years that it's, which one do you pick? You know? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought uh, this one because again, it's an album that some people may not even know exists. You know, they might just play slow hand and then unplugged and call it a day. Uh, right. Whereas uh, there's, there's a lot of good stuff that they, they just maybe haven't heard yet, let alone nine minute versions of them. You know, it's, everyone should check this album out it's really good one. yeah i agree yeah and uh i think he's got oh it looks like almost about almost 80 albums it looks like between live soundtrack compilation and Damn. studio albums 
Uh, yeah, crazy. That's a, that's a very great career. <laughs> great career. He has had a run. Well, before we wrap this up, uh, please tell all of our listeners what you're working on, where they can find you and anything you'd like to pitch. All right. So, um, I have just had my last release, uh, hurricanes. Um, so song that I recorded with my old band, uh, I think you've heard it. Um, very good. And Loved it. thank you. Thank you. I'm glad you liked it. Uh, it's, it was one of those songs that, that really went a lot further than I thought. I really worked hard on, on, uh, public relations on this song and worked hard on getting it to press. I worked hard on getting it playlisted. Uh, I posted about it all the time. You know, it's kind of a give and take with, with making your own music. You can either do that or you can do the music video stuff or you can do the photo shoots, you know? Uh, but this song, I'm really glad I put all the energy where I did because now I have over 2,100 monthly listeners, uh, up from like 140 or something. Uh, and then I also, yeah, it was a great pop and it's, um, I think uh, almost to 5,000 streams now within about, it's a little less than a month. It's like three weeks that it's been out. Um, so very, very pleased with that song. If you haven't heard it, please go check it out. Uh, it's, it's really, it's special to me and uh, clearly it's special to a lot of other people as well because it's getting streamed a bunch. Um, so that happened. Uh, now I'm working on my next song. This one's called Grindstone. This is out uh, June 10th of this year. And this one is about being on the grindstone, being working so hard on something that you want, but yet being so far away from grasping it. And it really, it's really about my career as a guitar player. Uh, and I don't touch on that too much in the song, but I make it very clear. I've done a lot and I'm not done. And once, and I will prevail, I'll get there. You know, it's, it's just a slow game, you know, and really I don't care about being famous. I don't care about, you know, becoming a millionaire off of my music. If I could just pay my bills, you know, like most people, if I could pay my bills with my dreams, Hey, I'm happy, you know, and that's making it to me. So grindstone really is about that battle that we all face of, you know, there's, there's a stream that we want to reach, but it's almost unobtainable. But if you work hard enough and you put the right focus in the right places, opportunities start to come to you, doors start to open and you if you're smart enough to take them and see them sometimes they're very hidden uh but if you take them you'll get there you know and so grindstone is really about that i have an excellent album artwork cover for it uh um, this guy out of i think he's in poland his name's cosmic havoc uh actually i don't know the gender of this person so uh we'll just leave that alone but they did a great job on it and they do kind of rat fink style artwork. Uh, and they did this cool rat fink type of dude grinding his guitar against a grindstone for me. Um, nice. And he ended up releasing it. It's already been on, uh, a magazine. I can't remember. You'd think I'd remember this, but it's been on a magazine. Uh, and then one guy out of nowhere on Instagram messaged me one day and his, his username was ghost. And I'm like, this can't be good. This can't be good at all. You know? So he sends me this picture. He's like, Hey Bryce, I hope you'll like this. And it's the back of a school bus. And there's this, the character is kind of cut out of the album artwork and he's taken that character and he's pasted it on the back of this, the school bus on the two windows back there, kind of back to back. Um, kind of like a mirrored image, you know? And I was like, how did this guy get this? Did I get hacked? Like I used their name of ghost, you know, like, great, you know, here we go. Facebook jail, here I come. And I was like, I just accepted his message and I said, Hey, 
you know, how did you get that? I, I haven't released it, but I know the artist did. He's like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a really good friend with, with cosmic. Um, and I do airbrushing and, and I thought it was too cool. So I had to put it on the back of my bus. I hope you don't mind. I was like, dude, that's the coolest thing <laughs> I've ever had happen to me. That's you know, awesome. How awesome is this? So, uh, I was like, do you mind if I use that picture later on? And he's like, no, please, please do. It's, you know, I'm really happy you like it. I'm glad you're not mad about it. I'm like, no, man, that's great. I mean, everywhere you go, you're promoting my music. The only thing I ask is, can you put like my Instagram handle underneath that, you know, so people can kind of start following me around And He's like, yeah, I could do that. Uh, so grindstone's already kind of making waves and it hasn't even been released. I haven't sent out an email list to any of my close fans yet, which I usually do. I, I send out an email list about, you know, a couple weeks before saying, Hey, this is the release date. Don't tell anybody. Um, thanks for being a part of my mailer list. And so, uh, you know, it's doing great already. And I hope that it just does even better than hurricanes. Uh, but I guess we'll see, you know, so June 10th, uh, grindstone is coming out. And what is your Instagram handle? My Instagram handle is uh, at Bryce Evans Music, B-R-Y-C-E-E-V-A-N-S-M-U-S-I-C. Pretty simple. And that's really kind of for everything, BryceEvansMusic.com. My Facebook is the same, except for it's Bryce Evans Music FB, because <laughs> I couldn't obtain Bryce Evans Music. So I had to work around that. But it's, it's really uh, brand-centric. You can just Google Bryce Evans Music and all of my stuff is going to come up. I tried to make it as easy as possible for people to find. So I encourage everyone to go out, seek out Bryce's music. It's excellent. Give him a follow on Instagram. You won't regret it. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you. Glad you liked the last song too. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to keep diving into your catalog as much as I can. I, I like your stuff. Thank you. Yeah, please do. Well, Bryce, I'd like to thank you for your time today. It was a pleasure to sit and talk with you about Eric Clapton's One More Car, One More Rider. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, hopefully I can come back and talk about another album one of these days. And uh, it's been fun. Love the podcast. Really can't wait to see what you do with it. I think you're going to go very far with it. Sounds like you're already having some success. So keep it going, man. I'm glad I got to be a part of this in the early years, I guess. huh? This season two has been going quite well. I've had a lot of uh, people reach out to me wanting to be on the show to talk uh, a wide variety of, of, <laughs> of albums. Uh, some I've heard, some I haven't. Yeah. Uh, coming up next week, I'm doing a recording for uh, Wilco, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. So that's going to be a fun one. Oh, very cool. Okay. I'm excited. I mean, I, I found you through Julian's. Um, I, I found him somewhere. And then I saw he was on your podcast. And I was like, oh, cool. You know, what is this? And that's how I got a hold of you. But I listened to his episode. Uh, I listened to it again today. I was like, man, this is a great idea. This is a great, great idea. I mean, this isn't anything you you really hear about, you know, it's just musicians talking about about albums and it's it's fantastic. It's been so much fun. Uh, it's something I started during the pandemic just kind of to, just for fun. Sure. Uh, with, uh, say my cousin was the very first episode, Band on the Run. Uh, but then we've had all kinds of different genres. You know, we've had, we've had Phantom of the Opera, we've had Metallica, Kiss, I did Pink Floyd. Uh, then we got into the Flaming Lips, Julian's did Neil Young, Live Rust. Yeah. Uh, coming up soon, we're going to be doing, uh, it'll already have aired by the time this airs, but uh, the two-hour Quadrophenia epic. Oh, <laughs> yes, yes. You were telling me you were diving into that album, yeah. Yeah, that was a, that was a rabbit hole. So that was a lot, <laughs> a lot of fun. 
and then we got round tables. Uh, we did the classic rock round table the first season, and this season we did yeah. a 90s music round table. Very cool. I'm still editing that one. That one was a hodgepodge of bad connections, but I'm still still working on that one. Uh, but yeah, it's just a lot of fun. Even my my son got in there and did a quick 10 minute episode, which was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, I heard that one. Uh, so the classic rock round table. What's that all about? Gathered up a couple guys from season one. We had my cousin who did Band on the Run, Doug who did Van Halen one, and Luke who did Radiohead, and we just talked classic rock for two hours. Oh, excellent! What is classic rock? We each came in with different questions, and it's actually in two parts on season one, so it's pretty pretty cool little roundtable. Excellent. Okay, I'm going to listen to that too tomorrow. I got a whole bunch of editing to do, so I'll. I'll uh... I'll, I'll jump into that at some point. That's great. That's a yeah, fun lesson. If you ever do that again, I would love to be a part of it. I, I love doing that kind of stuff. We will be doing more, more roundtables. It's, it's been uh, uh, a lot of the feedback has been that those are, those are cool. Thank you for listening to Music Rewind, a podcast from the Sidereal Media Group. Future episodes are up on our Patreon, and you can always just buy us a coffee if you want to help the show. As I always say, listen to the full album. Until next time. A podcast from the Sidereal Media Group. Back to you, anchors.